Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Welcome everyone, I'm Miriam Knight and I'm very pleased to have with me today Luke Adler. Luke is a board certified acupuncturist and Chinese herbalist in the state of Oregon and he has received the highest level of national certification for Chinese medicine. He's currently pursuing his doctoral studies under Dr. Jeffrey Yuan and his studies are in classical Chinese medicine with an emphasis in the esoteric energetics of acupuncture, herbology, and ritual healing. He has a practice in Oregon. He was trained as a primary health care provider. And we are going to discuss today his new book that brings together all of his wonderful talents and studies. It's called Born to Heal. Heal yourself, heal the world. I'm very delighted to welcome him. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Miriam. I'm so happy to be here today to discuss uh, some of my most um, inspired inspired subjects. And um, I can already tell and feel this is going to be a, a really good time. So thanks for having me. <laughs> Nothing like having antennae. Um, you have had an really interesting accumulation of insights about health and healing and spirituality and how they play together. And you brought them together in, in this book, Born to Heal. I'm wondering, when did you realize that you were meant to be a healer? Well, uh, I mean, as you read in my book, I had these spiritual awakening experiences uh, when I was 13, and they continued to unfold and grow and blossom and refine. Um, but I think, I, I mean, right when you said that I had this flash of, I was driving home one winter night, uh, up in the, up in the woods above Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, and there's a deer, a deer that was just hit and it was lying in the middle of the road and I could see it was still alive. And I just had this instinct to get out of my car and to put my hands on this animal. Um, and I was, you know, I was nervous and I was scared and there was this sense of, um, helping it to transition to the other side. So I put my hands on this deer. It was still breathing, you know, feebly. And um, I just laid with it until it died and the rain was coming down. And I think at that moment, there was this sense that I wanted to help people. I wanted to help beings heal. I wanted to help them transition uh, through suffering. And um, and at that point, I was already kind of having um, – you know, visions of auras and, and seeing the energy body around uh, my teachers in class and students. So there was already an opening for me energetically. And then there was a sense of, okay, now I can, I need to do something with it. Um, and, the, and the journey continued, but it definitely like 15, 16 years old. That was when I had that experience driving. I didn't write it in Born to Heal, but um, I, uh, hmm. it just Fascinating. came when you asked that question. Yeah, it was really interesting. What drew you to the study of Oriental medicine? I mean, you studied both um, Chinese medicine and um, Ayurveda. Why yeah. 
why were you drawn to those as opposed to uh, Western medicine? Well, initially I was, um, I, I had this fantasy of being kind of like an Andrew Weil, Deepak Chopra, kind of alternative MD. And I started a, a, as a pre-med student at UC Santa Barbara. And um, I, I just quickly found that there wasn't, um, there wasn't inclusion within science or any of those pre-med classes of one's spirit or even emotional health. And that was such an integral part of my experience up to that point having this um, very strong spiritual life. And so I, I basically let go of pre-med, and then I finished uh, undergrad, but I still had this desire to do healing and medicine. So I looked at naturopathic school, and um, naturopathic school uh, was beautiful and nuanced and kind of included some aspect of someone's spirit and kind of holistic health and consciousness. But within its philosophy isn't an inherent way to, to treat one's spirit. And I kind of stumbled into a Chinese medicine class up at Bastyr University in Seattle, and uh, I was instantly struck by this, um, not only the inclusion of one's spirit and emotions, but that one's spirit is actually kind of the bedrock of their physiological health. And, of course, that's the thesis of my book, Born to Heal, is that when you're when you're not aligned with your heart, with your heart of hearts, with your inner wisdom, that we begin to stray from what we know to be true um, and healthy and balanced. So um, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine at their, at their core is this inclusion of one's spiritual uh, development uh, in regards to and related to um, their physical health. Now, you talk in your book about the progression or, or the parallel progression of yeah. influences, say, from the, the organs, the lungs, liver, spleen, and kidneys, and the emotions that affect them, and then the elements, particularly in Chinese medicine, that are uh, conventionally associated with them. Right. What does this give you? in terms of an additional dimension of understanding? I think what I wanted to do with presenting the organs is give people a um, visceral, tangible understanding of emotion, behavior, spirituality, and physiological health to say, sometimes we talk about how our emotions affect our health and what I'm doing is I'm linking specific emotions to specific organs that have been um, have been taught and and practiced clinically by Chinese medicine physicians and healers for thousands of years, and um, that there's kind of to demystify and to dispel any confusion around. I'm angry, and if I don't express my anger, then it's going to have an effect on my liver which might affect my digestion, might give me headaches, might give me migraines, might affect my menstrual cycle, et cetera, and so on. And these linkages are, are um, very clear when pointed out. And I feel like, you know, the book's been out for four months now, and I've gotten a lot of feedback, and, and many people are kind of um, relieved and excited to read the book, and it, it helps them understand themselves and helps them understand their sense of truth or their sense of their sense of uh, well-being 
particularly with regard to, say, a sadness, anger, worry, or fear, uh, when they're ignoring one of these emotions and then going, oh, okay, I can see that this is actually having a um, detrimental effect to my health. So um, typical books that talk about emotion will talk about them within the five elements. And I didn't want to talk about the five elements too much because it looks a little too abstract. And so the organ systems give us that kind of direct somatic connection to the, the physicalness of our bodies and how um, our, what we feel is, is actually a physical thing and not necessarily an emotion as if, as if emotion is non-physical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things you talk about is our ability to put diseases into latency through the power of our own will. Um, can you explain that, and, and what do you understand from that, particularly when the diseases are then free to in, manifest? Yeah, in in Chinese medicine and in Western medicine, we both have both systems have a way to explain this, and that uh, in Western medicine we talk about um, systems of latency being the lymph system, the the joints, the um, blood and the liver and there there are kind of other peripheral symptoms systems but these systems basically have the capacity to store viruses bacteria fungus candida yeast um, microbes basically pathological um, entities can be stored in any of these systems and as long as we have the vitality uh, we can keep those latent pathogens in a state of latency or dormancy where they remain inactive. And we could cite different examples of this, um, like rheumatoid arthritis is, is a disease of latency, and the way that it works is it affects the peripheral joints first, so the um, distal interphalangeal joints or the joints around the fingers um, and then the wrists and then the elbows. And the idea is that the... the body is trying to keep this this pathogen as far away from the heart or the internal viscera as possible. So it's put to the periphery of the body and you have these achy joints and they're stiff and they can get progressively worse. And what I'm saying in Born to Heal is that there's a connection between what we feel and then what we do about what we feel or what we do to not feel what we feel, which for most people has to do with either eating or being restrictive with yourself. So there's kind of like a, a way that we buffer feeling by, you know, eating sugary foods, fatty foods, alcohol, or for many people, they don't eat. And it's a way to kind of destabilize the metabolic system and detach from the body to not feel what we're feeling. And, and um, you know, you see, we see this in, in bulimia and anorexia and any of these diseases mm-hmm. or even non clinical diseases that are just like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to not eat today. And, um, you know, I meet people all the time in my clinic who, who don't eat and it's a way to check out. It's a way to not feel. And, um, the, hmm. the, because the body is so powerful, it can store things for decades. And here's, here's kind of the, the really important piece about latency is that all of us have a finite capacity to store pathogenic factors. And when, when we um, consume that capacity, 
then disease can progress into a defenseless landscape. Meaning, when we when we lack the strength to do so, to keep disease in check, we can become very sick, and of、mm-hmm. course, that's what we、mm-hmm. want to avoid. Yeah. Luke, what is your website?、Um, you can find out about the work I do at lukeadlerhealing.com. Great.、Yep. Okay, we were talking before the break about the.、Um, Uh, latency, how how we manage to sequester our illnesses until we run out of、uh, energy to do so.、Um, you、yeah. talk in your book about something called the sequence of separation. How does that link into these problems? The sequence of separation is really a description of the, the physiological.、Um, Process of latency as it progresses, and and the emotions that kind of come to aid us in a certain alarm isn't the right word, but in a way to try to get our attention to、um, to to look at an area of life that's begging to be looked at. And the core of the sequence of separation is this notion that when we're present, when we're feeling with our heart. Which to me feels like a、um, it can feel kind of like a vulnerable sensation in the center of the chest. It's in my view, it's it's like the sixth sense is this ability to feel with this sensitivity of our innermost self and glean information through that. That is of is of a direct perception, meaning that there's not a secondary moment where we're thinking about. Oh, is this right? And can I compare this scenario to something else in my life? There's this primary, direct percepting of reality, where we feel it through the space of our heart. The sequence of separation is that we become disconnected from that ability to feel and that, ab- that ability to sense. And I think for most children, that sense of feeling with the heart is very pure. Clear and strong, and then many children kind of forget that over time. Some kids, unfortunately,、um, lose that capacity quickly in life due to certain traumas or abusive situations. And others of us maintain some of it, and then others of us lose it and then gain it again later.、Um, and this idea of becoming separate from that part of our being, that in my view really connects us to God. Connects us to the universe, connects us to universal love, connects us to whatever you would call that idea of the ineffable. We experience that connection through this space or region of the high chest, which many traditions call the heart. And the sequence of separation is to say that when we're disconnected from that, we begin to feel cut off from the source of not only insight but but health and vitality. That moves through the body, and we experience it activating through the heart.、Um, and of course, the emotions or the feelings that are related to each organ system are indicators to say, "Hey, come back and feel this thing that you're afraid to feel, that is really uncomfortable." Because we know that that life is uncomfortable, and if we're if we're building walls to insulate us from the discomfort. It's only a matter of time before those walls are taken down by、uh, life, 
and that were kind of, I don't know if I'd say the word forced, but moved into a place where we um, need to feel. Um, that said, I've worked well, with a handful of people that refuse to feel up into the very end of their lives. So we do have mm-hmm. free will. Yeah. But so much of modern life, really, the entertainments, the distractions, the the intoxicants, the uh, yep. uh, the stresses are geared toward numbing us, toward uh, preventing us or allowing us to avoid feeling. So right. why is feeling so good for you? Well, it's like a in the same way that alcohol or marijuana or whatever drug or sugar for that matter um opens a certain window of um of of peace or of um joy uh to the body to the mind um of course it leaves a, a certain hangover effect that we then have to deal with when we're when we allow ourselves to feel in a particular way so it's not just kind of like um this wild childlike open-heartedness without without any uh governance or boundary it's it's this awareness of where we are in our lives with regards to our relationships our finances our spirituality and allowing ourselves to feel at the right dosage at the right time and glean information and then what begins to happen is we develop strength within our nervous system to feel more deeply into things and that that deeper feeling actually allows us to begin to have a relationship with ourselves, with our innermost selves. And by deepening the relationship with self, we can then have deep relationships with each other. And to me, this is really the pinnacle goal of life. And we could say spiritual life, but it's really the goal of life. And that is to have deep, profound, intimate, loving relationships with each other and to have this sense of family with all beings. Uh, to the deepest capacity that we can, to have compassion for each other, to um, be supportive of each other, and to allow this profound love that is really at the basis of this entire experience to flow like a river through through each one of us and then to each one of us. And so feeling is the pathway to this uh, realization of family and of intimacy and of support and you know I mean mm-hmm. I don't know if there's sure. ever a, a more important time in history I'm sure I'm sure there's many many times but it seems like right now our ability to connect um, I don't want to get too much into politics but to connect is important and mm-hmm. we, we need to be able to hear each other and listen and feel and hold a safe space well, for one another I think it's fair to say that our first relationship is with ourselves, and yeah. even that is difficult to connect to because you, you describe many places in the book on how we are alienated from ourselves. Um, yeah. You speak a lot about connecting to the source of universal love. What have you come to understand as the nature of that energy or presence? Well, I think it's described in every major religion, you know, this this 
energy that's omnipresent, that's all-powerful, that's um, all-loving and all-forgiving. We have these qualities that you hear from Christianity to Judaism to Islam to um, Buddhism and, and Hinduism, although Buddhism kind of looks at it as like a non-thing, but it's just another way to describe this expansive quality. So there's there's several characteristics of it, and there's my experience of it, which really aligns with a lot of scriptural teachings from um, the Yoga Sutras. My background is more in his, Hindu mysticism, but kind of even pre-Hindu texts uh, from northeast India, Kashmir, the Kashmir region of India, that really this idea of um, not wanting necessarily or only to be taught about about spirituality and healing and love, but to taste it directly. And this is the work that I do in my retreats and workshops, is I teach people meditation and breathing practices um, and different teachings from these traditions to have a direct experience of love. And that experience is utterly dynamic, but essentially what it does in every instance is it draws you deeper within yourself. And as it draws you deeper inside, you come in contact with all that you are. And I have, I've have seen this experience many times. I've experienced it myself. When I'm teaching someone meditation for the first time, I've had several people call me back in a few weeks and they say, Luke, I just can't stop crying. I'm just so sad. And, you know, I'm wondering if I'm doing it right and something's wrong. And I said, you know, you're doing it perfectly. What you're discovering as you meditate and go inside is that there's a lot of sadness there that you haven't felt. You haven't had mm -hmm. the time or made the time to feel. And so there's this kind of house cleaning that happens. And as we, as we dip into these different petals of the heart, the sadness, the anger, the rage, the worry, the fear, we begin to transcend those qualities and start to touch into the bliss and the love and the connection and the tenderness and the peace. And it's really this idea that all of those experiences are part of the landscape of, of the universe. And sometimes when we think about healing, we're like, I don't want to feel angry. I don't want to feel sad. What my coaching is, is to feel all of it because it's all part of the flavor of the heart. And in fact, we need to feel all of it so as to hold space for these experiences for each other and to get that there's nothing wrong with sadness or anger or fear. There's nothing bad about them. If we're willing to feel through them to their completion, then we get this sense of, you know, autonomy within ourselves. And um, it can be a very healthy thing. You connect very strongly the notion of uh, self-love uh, with healing. Um, so we we have to and and it, it's almost the this transition between the physical and the spiritual. It's like a dance that goes back and forth into manifestation and into feeling. Yeah, I mean, as you say that, I can, I mean, it, it really makes me present to that we're, we are physical, but we're, we're almost more spiritual than we're physical. You know, that the, the bodies are giving this, giving us this container to have this experience of ourselves expressing. And if we, if we miss the point that we're more, that we're really spiritual beings, 
learning through these physical bodies and and we can get confused and think I'm just this physical being and I need proof to move myself through my life that's of a physical nature we're looking at I don't know what percentage 2% of the pie of of what is in the, this realm of existence so the the feeling nature that I keep pointing back to I'm not really talking about emotions I'm talking about the contour of, of one's soul and that the nature of the soul is power and specifically it's power of a feminine nature and that feminine nature is about expression it's about sexuality it's about creativity um, it's about love and the masculine nature of the being is, is kind of more of the spirit which is this kind of steady immovable um, we call it stamba, this powerful grounding force. And so we begin to tap into these um, complementary natures of ourselves through mm-hmm. this work. We're speaking with Luke Adler about his book, Born to Heal, Heal Yourself, Heal the World. Luke, what did you mean by that title? Well, I, I, I like the way the title, um, I like the ring of the title, but really to me it captures really the innate essence of life and that's that whether you're consciously working on healing or enlightenment or love or some kind of holistic viewpoint in your life or you're completely unconscious to it that we're really all born with this innate capacity to heal and to grow as people as souls in whatever context one wants to think of growth that that is just part of life and it's innate and then we're all born to do it and then there's this idea of really getting outside of ourselves and going well if this is indeed true which i believe it is and i think many people um agree that we're really here to grow and heal and evolve that um that if we can heal these spaces within ourselves then we can help other people heal other people heal as well and the idea is that if we're harboring some kind of grief or sadness related to some memory or impression, and we're able to feel through that and to release it, then we gain this capacity to hold a space for anyone who is connected to us to also heal that similar kind of wound. And um, that's why feeling with this intention to let it go and to let it wash through us is such a powerful, a powerful way to heal. Um, in fact, when we look at pain typically as an experience, it's really made up of three things. It's made up of kind of the anticipation of pain, so that resistance to pain cr- creates pain, the memory of past pain, and then the emotion of, of like uh, dreading the pain in a, in a certain way. So that when we allow ourselves to feel, we can release the memories and we can start to just become present to the experience that we're having, which allows the body to heal. Um, hmm. So it, I'm, I'm interested in the body healing for sure. Um, but what I'm mostly interested in is people learning these, these skills and these methods to, to feel, which the body healing is just a byproduct of that. The best part about it is you actually start to enjoy your life and enjoy the people in your life. And that, to me, that's really the goal of life. Well, this reminds me of our earlier discussion of the 
putting diseases into latency, since Western yep. medicine tends to be focused on dealing with symptoms, perhaps yep. it really doesn't heal the underlying cause. It just makes it uh, go away and possibly pop up somewhere else. So what you're saying is that we need to feel into the emotions that have caused the imbalance in the first place in order to release and heal the underlying cause. Yes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what I'm sharing is not an absolute cure to all things. There's there's definitely a physical nature to things. There's imbalances of amino acids and vitamins and nutrients that can be corrected with supplementation um, uh, and diet. And there are certain therapies that can be really helpful for, for um, allergic reactions and sensitivities and certainly very strong interventions for stronger diseases. But at the same time, I, I just want to touch on this point that you talked about Western medicine. A lot of Western medicine is designed, like you said, to alleviate symptoms. And, and some of these medicines work by targeting the vitality of the body, the, the reservoirs of the body's strength, which in China, Chinese medicine we look at as related to the, the kidneys, the marrow, and the brain. Um, and these Western drugs, for example, prednisone is a, is a good example of a, a very cheap, effective steroid that literally turns off the body's immune response to allow, you know, like poison oak or some kind of infection to just um, to just not get reacted to by the immune system. But what happens is that infection actually gets driven deeper into the body and goes into a dormant state. Um, and the prednisone wears down the, we could say, the endocrine system or the adrenals. It starts to borrow epinephrine and norepinephrine in order to shut down the immune response. And I might not have the science exactly right on that, but it's pretty close. Um, and there are many medicines that that do that, that like hormone replacement, different hormone replacement therapies where you're supplementing a hormone that the body's no longer making. The body's not making that hormone for a reason. Um, and so when we give the body something that it's, you know, that it has a deficit of, this isn't absolutely true, but in certain instances, it wears down the body's vitality. And in essence, we could say maybe it's taking time away from one's lifetime or quality of life away from the body later. Now, I'm not condemning this. There's, I've taken prednisone for, um, for certain things before, and I'm, I'm so glad I did. Um, so there's a time and a place for all of these medicines um, and therapies. I'm just saying, first, let's look at let's look at the emotional and, and spiritual lesson here. And if we can grasp the lesson, then we can make a responsible choice about, okay, yes, I'm going to do the surgery. I'm going to do the chemotherapy. I'm going to do the radiation. But if we don't address the emotional spiritual component and go straight to wanting to fix it, to cut it, to get, to get it out of us, I can promise you that disease is going to come back even stronger. One, because the body's been weakened by the drugs or the intervention and two, because the, the lesson hasn't been learned. So um, to me, this is like really, really important for our health and our growth and our healing. So it's, it's not just a spiritual feel-good message. I'm really talking about our, our welfare um, as a society, you know, and as a, as a people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can go on and on about this, but... <laughs> now, 
you uh, promote two practices for healing very strongly, yeah. breath work and meditation. Um, pick one and tell us why it is so important. Okay, um, I'd love to. And I just want to make a quick note that um, the reason I didn't talk about acupuncture in the book is because I wanted to give people um, healing methods that they could have for themselves and not be dependent on someone like me to, to administer um, some kind of therapy that would help, which acupuncture is very profound and effective. The um, method well, that... Well, I, I just want to... Most- break in here and and strengthen what you said earlier. If you're in pain, you know, you just want something to stop the pain, whatever whatever Absolutely. the source. So um, whatever helps, fine. But you're saying yep. in addition to that, let's yes. go to the underlying cause and resolve that. Okay, over to you. Thank you. Um, the most powerful practice that I've come across um, to strengthen the nervous system. And let me just highlight for a moment that most people in Western society, that probably the entire, most of the world right now, has a nervous system that is just overloaded, that's just vibrating with tension and a low level to severe level of anxiety and stress. It's just state that people's bodies are in. We need a practice that actually strengthens our capacity to deal with stress and to hold increasing levels of what I call light or love or healing energy. So seated meditation, and when I say meditation, I'm not talking about all forms of meditation. There are specific forms of meditation that strengthen the body to allow the spiritual nature of our being to reside within the body, not to leave the body, not to transcend the body, not to be outside of the body in some way, which are fine experiences if that's what you're reaching for within your practice. But the kind of practice that I teach helps you be more embodied, more in your body, more in your feeling, more connected to um, what you feel, to your thoughts, and allow you to be effective in your relationships and in your career and in your service to others. So it's a practice that really honors your responsibilities as a human being, honors your choices in your relationships, honors your financial obligations. And I'm speaking from experience in that for 15 plus years, I practiced a form of meditation that was really one that brought me out of my body that disconnected me from the humanity within my relationships that had me not really caring about mundane life and not in a bad way. It was just the practices, the nature of the practice was one that detached me from things. And the meditation I'm teaching now, it doesn't attach us. It just brings us into alignment with what is really important with regards to our lessons that we're here to learn to allow us to respond specifically, artistically, and in a more and more refined way to each other and to, quite honestly, the problems that we face as, as a people right now. And, you know, as we know, there are many and they are severe and we need to be in the world to, to respond to them. And, you know, there are other people that are doing practices where they're meditating in ashrams and, 
convents, and that's a beautiful and it's a wonderful practice. But my teaching is don't do those kind of practices if you live in the world because they're going to, they're not going to have you be effective in really relating to one another um, in, in a world that really needs people to relate to it and to respond to it. So um, it's kind of a, it's a practice for, for those of us who live in the world and very, very healing. And it does bring about the changes and evolution of consciousness in a very um, enlightening way that allows us to be in our relationships um, with intimacy and in a, re- in a very responsive, um, kind, respectful manner. I think that is a very useful and important message to convey because we really do need to come together and work together yes. in the world yes. in order to heal the world. So, Luke, we were talking about being in community. And one of the uh, parts in the book that talks about sometimes the ickiness of dealing with other people, you call the goo syndrome. (laughs) Tell us about that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, goo. (laughs) First learned about this in Chinese medicine school, and one of our teachers was talking about getting getting gooed. And, um, (laughs) of course, the the idea of it um, has evolved a lot over time, but the initial understanding of goo was, you know, a patient would come in and uh, say maybe, maybe the patient had some, um, I don't know, some some repressed, really strong repressed emotions and maybe some strong sexual repression in there too. And they kind of came into the treatment room really looking to um, disempower the practitioner uh, by uh, maybe uh, being insulting of their skills in some way or or maybe just really unconscious. Maybe um, they have a, have a lot of trauma or um, alcoholism or drug addiction. And so there's just kind of this energetic film that they carried with them. And then it was like, a, you know, I don't think of like Ghostbusters and like Slimer. And you just kind of get slimed by this uh, this character. And and that's really um, refined for me over time. And um, I don't experience goo much anymore in my practice. I don't experience people coming in and kind of dumping on me, partly because I've gotten really clear about my self-worth and my value and what it is that I'm serving in people and I'm really serving their light. And the second that I feel someone starting to become unconscious and just move into tangents uh, around their story, um, I usually I'm going to interrupt them and say, hang on a second, you know, um, what, what do you mean by that? Or, you know, are you, um, are you, or I'll encourage them to feel, you know, like, okay, I want you to feel right now and kind of let go of what you're saying. So the, the gooiness is kind of that, that mental turbidity that just recycles old stories or kind of um, nonsensical sharing that we can come across and we, you know, we leave an interaction like that feeling tired, feeling like there's this film over our eyes. And, um, I think our work, our work as human beings, but certainly working professionally in the healing arts, um, that's a big part of me being able to stay clear and keep my energy level up is that the second that I sense kind of gooey energy, 
I'm staring at, I'm staring it right down. I'm not backing away from it. I'm not trying to hide myself from it. Or I talk about ingratiation in the book. I'm not trying to take it on or digest it for someone. I'm really um, teaching people to become aware of where they're unconscious so that they can digest their own um, pain. Um, that I'm mm-hmm. not a, um, I'm not a receptacle for people's pain. I'm a teacher to help people digest, to help people learn to digest their own pain. Um, in fact, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of goo in family dynamics and in relationships in general, not just between the practitioner and the client. That's why for me, I say that family is really the highest level of spiritual expression because if we can get with our families and get into those gooey places where we, you know, you get into Thanksgiving dinner and, and someone just wants to throw a fit or mom's doing the same old thing, making fun of me and dad's yelling, whatever the dynamic is, if we can be present in the space of the heart and, you know, look straight through that gooeyness and speak from a place of honesty, um, then we can begin to heal. And there are certainly instances where healing's not going to happen for many of us quickly, or maybe even in this lifetime, but family could be anyone in our lives. It doesn't have to be our blood family. And that um, those lessons will reappear for us uh, in whatever dynamics that we find ourselves in. I mean, there's, there's really no way to avoid community in life. At some point you're going to find yourself in a community of people and you're going to see all those unresolved issues with mom and dad, brother, sister, whatever, and get an opportunity to to feel through the past levels of pain and to choose love. And it's really, really difficult work, but it is the work we're here to do. And it is what will heal this world. And, um, you know, I'm well, really here to help. Well, we are coming... We are coming up to the holiday season, and and uh, (laughs) so do you have any any words of advice for people on how to do that? Because that doesn't sound like it's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's the hardest. It's the hardest of all the practices. And, you know, the reason why I teach people to meditate and do breath work is to be able to be present with the people that um, they call their family or... um, people that they love and people that we all love. You know, the the easiest tool is, the, is just to breathe and that when we start to feel that sense of uh, flooding or contraction or our teeth grinding, that we take a breath and we ground the energy down into our feet and we feel with our heart. And really the question, mm-hmm. the question to really ask and to be present with is how can I, how can how can I turn this situation into love? How can I add love to it? It's not about getting rid of our anger or our sadness or grief. We need to bring that to the Thanksgiving table. It's let's add love to the grief. Let's add love to the anger. And when we do that, what we find is that the grief turns into compassion. The anger turns into passion. The worry turns into care and tenderness. The fear turns into creativity. And that there's this alchemization when we add love to the experience that we don't want to have, it transforms into something new that we can only get to if we allow it to be there. And love is really, it starts with breathing. It starts with, you know what, you're okay, you're safe. 
um, feel what you're feeling. It starts with Try loving yourself. Yeah, it starts with loving yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It starts with loving ourselves and saying, "Hey, nothing wrong with me. There's nothing to fix." You know. This is, and that can this be the most challenging trip. thing because we have to overcome the tapes of all of our childhood and every trauma we've ever had. And you, you, you say yeah. meditation is meditation and breathing. Is the That's answer. part of it, but you really, you really pointed to the, you know, the real practice of freedom is to you're in that moment. And we've all, most of us have been taught to self-flagellate and to beat ourselves up and to say, Hey, swallow it, be tough, you know, be, have a stiff upper lip. And that's, that's not, that's not the teaching I'm pr- promoting. And certainly there are times for that um, in a more of a survival situation, but these aren't, we're not running from saber toothed tigers, although it feels like that sometimes at the Thanksgiving table. Um, we're, <laughs> we're really running, we're running away from love. We're running away from intimacy. So giving ourselves a pep talk, breathing, and then say, and then really committing to love in the moment and saying, how can I, forward an experience of love. And Luke's website is lukeadlerhealing.com. And I certainly want to invite you to visit um, our new website, which is a directory of conscious healers, coaches, teachers, called happyguide.com. That's H-A-P-I, which stands for Health Awakening purpose, and inspiration. And Luke, if you are hearing me, I do hope that you will sign up there as well because you would be a wonderful addition to our directory. So that's, oh, that's great. Happy I'm, going. I'm back with you now. I'm back with you now. Ah, goody. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was just inviting you to, to sign up on Happy Guide. You would be a wonderful addition. Okay. So Luke, do you okay. have... Do you have any further or final messages for our listeners? Yeah, I think that last last bit on Thanksgiving was powerful. Um, my my parting parting words is to really enjoy the people in your life, to um, savor the moments with them, whether they're seemingly benign or really profound, and that the, the love, that tender feeling that we have inside to to allow that to come forward and to allow that to grow and to allow that spark to um, ignite a deeper sense of appreciation for each other because that is what life's all about. As they say, that's what it's all about. <laughs> and you don't have to do the hokey pokey. Do you have another book in progress? What What are your next uh, projects? Yeah, I um I am working on another book. It's called The Five Sacred Actions of Humanity, and it's like the five kind of to do things that um we can put into action uh, around okay. our healing and 
um, it's it'll probably be a, a year or two from now before it's done. But. Well, I look forward to fun. reading it, and I've really enjoyed reading your current book, Born to Heal, Heal Yourself, Heal the World. We've been speaking with Luke Adler. Thank you so much, Luke. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Miriam. I'm Miriam Knight. I hope you'll join us next week. In the meantime, many blessings. Goodbye. <laughs>